0: Book Three, Chapter Two of Last Days of Pompeii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulet. Last Days of Pompeii by Edward G. Bulwer Lytton. Book Three, Chapter Two The Noonday Excursion on the Campanian Seas. "'But tell me, Glaucus,' said Ione, "'as they glided down the rippling Sarnus "'in their boat of pleasure, "'how camest thou with Apacides to my rescue "'from that bad man?' "'Ask Nydia yonder,' answered the Athenian, "'pointing to the blind girl, "'who sat at a little distance from them, "'leaning pensively over her lyre. "'She must have thy thanks, not we. "'It seems that she came to my house, "'and, finding me from home, "'sought thy brother in his temple. "'He accompanied her to Arbaces,' On their way they encountered me, with a company of friends, whom thy kind letter had given me a spirit cheerful enough to join. Nydia's quick ear detected my voice. A few words sufficed to make me the companion of Apacides. I told not my associates why I left them. Could I trust thy name to their light tongues and gossiping opinion? Nydia led us to the garden gate, by which we afterwards bore thee. We entered, and were about to plunge into the mysteries of that evil house, when we heard thy cry in another direction. Thou knowest the rest. Ione blushed deeply. She then raised her eyes to those of Glaucus, and he felt all the thanks she could not utter. Come hither, my Nydia, she said tenderly to the Thessalian. Did I not tell thee that thou shouldest be my sister and friend? Hast thou not already been more, my guardian, my preserver? It is nothing, answered Nydia coldly and without stirring. Ah, I forgot, continued Ioni, I should come to thee. And she moved along the benches till she reached the place where Nydia sat, and flinging her arms caressingly round her, covered her cheeks with kisses. Nydia was, that morning, paler than her wont, and her countenance grew even more wan and colorless as she submitted to the embrace of the beautiful Neapolitan. But how camest thou, Nydia, whispered Ione, to surmise so faithfully the danger I was exposed to? Didst thou know aught of the Egyptian? Yes, I knew of his vices. And how? Noble Ione, I have been a slave to the vicious. Those whom I served were his minions. And thou hast entered his house, since thou knewest so well that private entrance? I have played on my lyre to Arbaces, answered the Thessalian with embarrassment. And thou hast escaped the contagion from which thou hast saved Ione, returned the Neapolitan, in a voice too low for the ear of Glaucus. Noble Ione, I have neither beauty nor station. I am a child, a slave, and blind. The despicable are ever safe. It was with a pained and proud and indignant tone that Nydia made this humble reply, and Ione felt that she only wounded Nydia by pursuing the subject. She remained silent, and the bark now floated into the sea. Confess that I was right, Ione, said Glaucus, in prevailing on thee not to waste this beautiful noon in thy chamber. "'Confess that I was right.' "'Thou wert right, Glaucus,' said Nydia abruptly. "'The dear child speaks for thee,' returned the Athenian. "'But permit me to move opposite to thee, or our light-boat will be overbalanced.' So saying, he took a seat exactly opposite to Ione, and leaning forward, he fancied that it was her breath, and not the winds of summer, that flung fragrance over the sea. "'Thou wert to tell me,' said Glaucus, "'why for so many days thy door was closed to me.' "'Oh, think of it no more,' answered Ione quickly. "'I gave my ear to what I now know was the malice of slander. "'And my slanderer was the Egyptian?' "'Ione's silence assented to the question. "'His motives are sufficiently obvious. "'Talk not of him,' said Ione, covering her face with her hands, "'as if to shut out his very thought. "'Perhaps he may be already by the banks of the slow sticks,' "'resumed Glaucus. "'Yet, in that case, we should probably have heard of his death.' thy brother methinks have felt the dark influence of his gloomy soul when we arrived last night at thy house he left me abruptly will he ever vouchsafe to be my friend he is consumed by some secret care answered ione tearfully would that we could lure him from himself let us join in that tender office he shall be my brother returned the greek how calmly said ione rousing herself from the gloom into which her thoughts of apaecides had plunged her How calmly the clouds seem to repose in heaven, and yet you tell me, for I knew it not myself, that the earth shook beneath us last night. It did, and more violently, they say, than it has done since the great convulsion sixteen years ago. The land we live in yet nurses mysterious terror, and the rain of Pluto, which spreads beneath our burning fields, seems rent with unseen commotion. Didst thou not feel the earthquake, Nydia, where thou wert seated last night, And was it not the fear that it occasioned thee that made thee weep? I felt the soil creep and heave beneath me, like some monstrous serpent, answered Nydia, but as I saw nothing, I did not fear. I imagined the convulsion to be a spell of the Egyptians. They say he has power over the elements. Thou art a Thessalian, my Nydia, replied Glaucus, and hast a national right to believe in magic. Magic! Who doubts it? answered Nydia simply. Dost thou? until last night when a necromantic prodigy did indeed appall me "Me methinks i was not credulous in any other magic save that of love said glaucus in a tremulous voice and fixing his eyes on ione ah said nydia with a sort of shiver and she woke mechanically a few pleasing notes from her lyre the sound suited well the tranquillity of the waters and the sunny stillness of the noon play to us dear nydia said glaucus play and give us one of thine old thessalian songs whether it be of magic or not, as thou wilt. Let it, at least, be of love. Of love, repeated Nydia, raising her large wandering eyes, that ever thrilled those who saw them with a mingled fear and pity. You could never familiarize yourself to their aspect. So strange did it seem that those dark wild orbs were ignorant of the day, and either so fixed with their deep mysterious gaze, or so restless and perturbed their glance, that you felt, when you encountered them, that same vague and chilling and half-preternatural impression that comes over you in the presence of the insane, of those who, having a life outwardly like your own, have a life within life, dissimilar, unsearchable, unguessed. Will you that I should sing of love, she said, fixing her eyes upon Glaucus? Yes, he replied, looking down. She moved a little way from the arm of Ione, still cast round her, as if that soft embrace embarrassed, and placing her light and graceful instrument on her knee after a short prelude she sang the following strain nydia's love song one the wind and the beam loved the rose and the rose loved one for who wrecks the wind where it blows or loves not the sun two none knew hence the humble wind stole poor sport of the skies none dreamt that the wind had a soul in its mournful sighs three oh happy beam How canst thou prove that bright love of thine? In thy light is the proof of thy love. Thou hast but to shine. For, How its love can the wind reveal? Unwelcome its sigh. Mute, mute to its rose, let it steal. Its proof is to die. Thou singest but sadly, sweet girl, said Glaucus. Thy youth only feels as yet the dark shadow of love. Far other inspiration doth he wake when he himself bursts and brightens upon us. "'I sing as I was taught,' Niddy replied, sighing. "'Thy master was love-crossed, then. Try thy hand at a gayer air. Nay, girl, give that instrument to me.' As Nydia obeyed, her hand touched his, and, with that slight touch, her breast heaved, her cheek flushed. Ione and Glaucus, occupied with each other, perceived not those signs of strange and premature emotions, which preyed upon a heart that, nourished by imagination, dispensed with hope.' and now broad blue bright before them spread the halcyon sea fair as at this moment seventeen centuries from that date i behold it rippling on the same divinest shores Climb that yet enervates with a soft and circean spell that moulds us insensibly mysteriously into harmony with thyself banishing the thought of austerer labour the voices of wild ambition the contests and the roar of life filling us with gentle and subduing dreams making necessary to our nature that which is its least earthly portion so that the very air inspires us with the yearning and thirst of love whoever visits thee seems to leave earth and its harsh cares behind to enter by the ivory gate into the land of dreams the young and laughing hours of the present the hours those children of saturn which he hungers ever to devour seem snatched from his grasp the past the future are forgotten We enjoy but the breathing time, flower of the world's garden, fountain of delight, Italy of Italy, beautiful benign Campania. Vain were, indeed, the Titans, if on this spot they yet struggled for another heaven. Here, if God meant this working day for a perpetual holiday, who would not sigh to dwell forever, asking nothing, hoping nothing, fearing nothing, while thy skies shine over him, while thy seas sparkle at his feet? while thine air brought him sweet messages from the violet and the orange and while the heart resigned to beating with but one emotion but could find the lips and the eyes which flatter it vanity of vanities that love can defy custom and be eternal it was then in this clime on those seas that the athenian gazed upon a face that might have suited the nymph the spirit of the place feeding his eyes on the changeful roses of that softest cheek happy beyond the happiness of common life, loving and knowing himself beloved. In the tale of human passion, in past ages, there is something of interest even in the remoteness of the time. We love to feel within us the bond which unites the most distant era. Men, nations, customs perish. The affections are immortal. They are the sympathies which unite the ceaseless generations. The past lives again, when we look upon its emotions, it lives in our own that which was ever is the magician's gift that revives the dead that animates the dust of forgotten graves is not in the author's skill it is in the heart of the reader still vainly seeking the eyes of ione as half downcast half averted they shunned his own the athenian in a low and soft voice thus expressed the feelings inspired by happier thoughts than those which had colored the song of nydia the song of glaucus i as the bark floateth on o'er the sunlit sea floats my heart o'er the deeps of its passion for thee all lost in the space without terror it glides for bright thy soul is the face of the tides now heaving now hushed is the passionate ocean as it catches thy smile or thy sighs and the twin stars that shine on the wanderer's devotion its guide and its god are thine eyes Two. The bark may go down, should the clouds sweep above, for its being is bound to the light of thy love. As thy faith and thy smile are its life and its joy, so thy frown or thy change are the storms that destroy. Ah, sweeter to sink while the sky is serene, if time hath a change for thy heart, if to live be to weep over what thou hast been, let me die while I know what thou art as the last words of the song trembled over the sea ione raised her looks they met those of her lover happy nydia happy in thy affliction that thou couldst not see that fascinated and charmed gaze that said so much that made the eye the voice of the soul that promised the impossibility of change but though the thessalian could not detect the gaze she divined its meaning by their silence by their sighs she pressed her hands lightly across her breast as if to keep down its bitter and jealous thoughts then she hastened to speak for that silence was intolerable to her after all o glaucus she said there is nothing very mirthful in your strain yet i meant it to be so when i took up thy lyre pretty one perhaps happiness will not permit us to be mirthful how strange it is said ione changing a conversation which oppressed her while it charmed that for the last several days yonder cloud has hung motionless over vesuvius yet not indeed motionless for sometimes it changes its form now methinks it looks like some vast giant with an arm outstretched over the city dost thou see the likeness or is it only to my fancy fair ione i see it also it is astonishingly distinct the giant seems seated on the brow of the mountain The different shades of the cloud appear to form a white robe that sweeps over its vast breast and limbs. It seems to gaze with a steady face upon the city below, to point with one hand, as thou sayest, over its glittering streets, and to raise the other, dost thou note it, towards the higher heaven. It is like the ghost of some huge titan brooding over the beautiful world he lost, sorrowful for the past, yet with something of menace for the future could that mountain have any connection with last night's earthquake they say that ages ago almost in the earliest era of tradition it gave forth fires as etna still perhaps the flames yet lurk and dart beneath it is possible said glaucus musingly thou sayest thou art slow to believe in magic said nydia suddenly i have heard that a potent witch dwells amongst the scorched caverns of the mountain "'and yon cloud may be the dim shadow of the demon she confers with.' "'Thou art full of the romance of thy native Thessaly,' said Glaucus, "'and a strange mixture of sense and all conflicting superstitions.' "'We are ever superstitious in the dark,' replied Nydia. "'Tell me,' she added, after a slight pause, "'tell me, O Glaucus, do all that are beautiful resemble each other? "'They say you are beautiful, and Ione also. "'Are your faces then the same?' "'I fancy not, yet it ought to be so.' "'Fancy no such grievous wrong to Ione,' answered Glaucus, laughing. "'But we do not, alas, resemble each other, as the homely and the beautiful sometimes do. "'Ione's hair is dark, mine light. Ione's eyes are—' "'What color, Ione? I cannot see. Turn them to me. "'Oh, are they black? No, they are too soft. Are they blue?' no they are too deep they change with every ray of the sun i know not their color but mine sweet nydia are gray and bright only when ione shines on them ione's cheek is i do not understand one word of thy description interrupted nydia peevishly i comprehend only that you do not resemble each other and i am glad of it why nydia said ione nydia colored slightly because she replied coldly i have always imagined you under different forms and one likes to know one is right and what dost thou imagined glaucus to resemble asked ione softly music replied nydia looking down thou art right thought ione and what likeness hast thou ascribed to ione i cannot tell yet answered the blind girl i have not yet known her long enough to find a shape and sign for my guesses i will tell thee then said glaucus passionately She is like the sun that warms, like the wave that refreshes. The sun sometimes scorches, and the wave sometimes drowns, answered Nydia. Take then these roses, said Glaucus. Let their fragrance suggest to thee Ione. Alas! the roses will fade, said the Neapolitan archly. Thus conversing, they wore away the hours. The lovers, conscious only of the brightness and smiles of love, the blind girl feeling only its darkness, its tortures, the fierceness of jealousy and its woe. And now, as they drift on, Glaucus once more resumed the lyre, and woke its strings with a careless hand to a strain, so wildly and gladly beautiful, that even Nydia was roused from her reverie, and uttered a cry of admiration. Thou seest, my child, cried Glaucus, that I can yet redeem the character of love's music, and that I was wrong in saying happiness could not be gay listen nydia listen dear ione and hear the birth of love one like a star in the seas above like a dream to the waves of sleep up up the incarnate love she rose from the charm deep and over the cyprian isle the skies shed their silent smile and the forest green heart is rife with the stir of the gushing life the life that had leaped to birth in the veins of the happy earth hail oh hail the dimmest sea-cave below thee the farthest sky arch above in their innermost stillness know thee and heave with the birth of love gale soft gale thou comest on thy silver winglets from thy home in the tender west now fanning her golden ringlets now hushed on her heaving breast and afar on the murmuring sand the seasons wait hand in hand to welcome thee birth divine to the earth which is henceforth thine Two behold how she kneels in the shell bright pearl in its floating cell behold how the shell's rose hues the cheek and the breast of snow and the delicate limbs suffuse like a blush with a bashful glow sailing on slowly sailing o'er the wild water all hail as the fond light is hailing her daughter all hail we are thine all thine evermore not a leaf on the laughing shore not a wave on the heaving sea nor a single sigh in the boundless sky but is vowed evermore to thee Three, and thou my beloved one thou as i gaze on thy soft eyes now methinks from their depths i view the holy birth born anew thy lids are the gentle cell where the young love blushing lies see she breaks from the mystic shell she comes from thy tender eyes hail all hail she comes as she came from the sea to my soul as it looks on thee She comes, she comes, she comes as she came from the sea, to my soul as it looks on thee. Hail, all hail. End of Book 3, Chapter 2